these issues aren't just First Nations issues. A lot of these things are world issues, global issues, and they affect everyone. Clean drinking water is not just a First Nations issue. Everyone faces inequality when it comes to clean drinking water. And so talking about these issues and talking about them together is really important. Hello, I'm Denise Withers, and you've just joined the Quest for Good Climate Edition, an interview series where global leaders share stories and strategies to drive climate action. If you're ready to take your climate leadership to the next level, then stay tuned because I have just the story for you. It's become crystal clear that we need to change our approach to tackling the climate crisis to work in collaboration with Indigenous peoples, nations, and knowledge keepers. As historic stewards of nature, they have rich insights, expertise, and perspectives to share about how we might move forward. But that doesn't just mean collaborating with Indigenous elders. We also need to listen to and learn from Indigenous youth who will be the stewards of the future. That's why I'm so excited to have Autumn Peltier join me today. She's the Chief Water Commissioner for the Anishinaabeg Nation and an Indigenous rights and water activist who's been using her voice to pursue justice since she was eight years old. In the last 10 years, she's addressed Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, spoken at the UN General Assembly and World Economic Forum, been shortlisted for the International Children's Peace Prize four times, and featured in Maclean's Top 50 Canadian Power List. She's also received multiple honours and awards, and recently released her first documentary, The Water Walker, produced by Seeing Red Six Nations, on HBO Canada. I can't wait to hear what she has to say about our shared climate challenges, so let's dive right in with this conversation. Hi Autumn, and welcome to the show. Yes, hello. It's great to have you here. So maybe we could go back to the beginning and you could start us off by telling us a bit about how you first got involved with climate change issues. Well, to start from the beginning, I was raised in a a very traditional lifestyle, learning about my language, my culture, and my people. And a lot of our culture has to do with our connection to the land and to the water. And so my understanding from the very beginning was a very deep, like a very deep connection. And I kind of learn and look at environment and climate change from a very indigenous perspective. And so one of like some of our first teachings are that being born in Anishinaabe, which is a First Nations person, are we're automatically given the right and responsibility to be ter- to be caretakers of the land, which means we look after the water, the lands and the people. And so from the very beginning I had this very deep understanding of my connection to like the land and the water as an indigenous person. And can you tell me a bit more about that? How did that come through? Was it through what people said to you? Was it through your actions? Are there some examples you could give us of how you came by those teachings? Well, I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by people who are knowledge keepers, like my grandfather, my grandma, my auntie Josephine, who is one of the one of my main mentors for the work that I do, and my mother, of course. And so kind of just being surrounded by learning about water teachings was kind of my first step into the door because... Water is one of the most sacred elements in our culture, and we look at it as if it's, like, the lifeblood of Mother Earth. And another perspective that we look at it in is, like, some of our first teachings are when we're in the womb as babies. Because, you know, the first teachings that we're given is how to love the water and how to love our mother. And so you're automatically given, like, it's kind of hard to put into words, because where you learn these is in ceremony. And so it's kind of hard for me to explain 
kind of like in words, but it's like I was fortunate enough to have people who were able to kind of give me that knowledge and wisdom. And I appreciate it. It's, it feels like it's something that's embedded in, in your daily life. Yeah. When you talk about in ceremony, you know, I grew up in as a traditional, you know, settler, settler life. We have very different ceremonies. So maybe could you tell us a little bit about what you mean when you, when you say you learn some of it in ceremonies? What's that like for you? Well, a big thing for my family was always participating in water ceremonies as we have that really like I guess like big respect for water as as it's one of the like the main elements of our culture and so where my work actually began well where the thoughts of my work first began was when I was eight years old I was attending a water ceremony in our like a First Nations community that was not far from mine about an hour and a half and at the time again I'm eight years old and I have to use the washroom and so when I'm, you know, finished using the washroom, I go to wash my hands and on like the mirrors and the walls, it said not for consumption, do not drink the water and boil water advisory. And so, of course, I have no idea what this means or like why I can't wash my hands. So I ask my mom, like, what does all this mean? Why can't I wash my hands with the water? And she says, well, this community is on a boil water advisory. Their water's contaminated, contaminated. They can't drink it. Again, of course, I still don't know what this really means. So later that night, I kind of go, I go home and I decided to kind of like Google what a boil water advisory was and what came up was like chiefs talking about like boil water advisories in the communities and how they've been on boil water advisories for over 20 years and for me I don't know why at the time it's it struck such a big thought as to like wow there's like kids that are my age and younger who have no idea what it's like to drink water from their tap they've never had that experience and they can't they can't just go to their like they can't just go to their tap and go have a shower or they can't just go to their tap and wash their hands and brush their teeth which are basic like basic human needs and so it's kind of where the thought of i guess water advocacy and using my voice really started yeah that's a really really powerful story and i know i grew up in ontario and took for granted, you know, we would be out canoeing and you would lean over and scoop up a handful of water to drink mm-hmm. from the lake. And I know people think twice about doing that now these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about your link with your Aunt Josephine and how you started sort of following her work and getting connected with what she was doing? Yeah, well, my Aunt Josephine was actually one of the like one of the people who were, who were like alongside my mother as I was like, a baby and a young girl because my mother was a single mother and she did raise me and my sisters on her own and so one of her supports were my auntie josephine and so obviously being surrounded by her she w- she was always sharing you know her knowledge and kind of like teaching me like what i needed to know to be a young girl to be a woman to be a female therefore an indigenous female and so like just having her around was like she's she's one of my biggest mentors and even though she's not here anymore she still is and yeah, so I just I've I had a I had a very close connection with her and you know, spending that much time with her and I guess, you know, constantly hearing her like wisdom and knowledge is kind of what mentored me into doing this work and you know, seeing her kind of, you know, age and it become more difficult for her to kind of do water walks or you know, go travel and do advocacy. That's kind of also what inspired me to use my voice because I would think to myself, well, when she's not here, when she can't physically do this anymore, then who's going to do it? Who's going to talk about it? Because Indigenous issues, let alone water issues, are not talked about and are issues that are just swept, swept under the carpet. So in that, in that, point, of, in that point of her, like, in her, in her time when it became a lot, di- like, very difficult for her to do it is when I started to kind of, re- I guess, step up and use my voice a lot more. 
Yeah, that's really powerful. And and I do want to talk a lot more about how you've been using your voice. If, if Before we get there, could you tell us a bit about what it means to be a water protector? What does that actually look like? What do you do? Well, a water protector is, it, it can honestly be anyone. You don't have to be Indigenous or First Nations. And it's simply just having like, you know, care for like the land and the water and just kind of like understanding the importance behind it and that it's not just water and I guess just really having respect for it and being someone who helps educate others on issues like these like water issues and yeah just having the respect for it and spreading proper education and that anyone can do it and you know you don't have to be a certain race or ethnicity to care for you know the environment I love that. That's so true. And then I know when when she passed, you were you actually took on the title of water commissioner at at a pretty young age. What what did it feel like for you to take on that responsibility? Well, I was 14 years old when I was given that role. And at the time, you know, I I kind of I understood the role that I was taking on, but I at that age I still didn't like understand the full importance of I guess what I was taking on. Of course, I was still willing to do it, but becoming the chief water commissioner means that I have, you know, I have a like a, a say at the, at the actual table where decisions are made, and I get to have an opinion and I get to share others' opinions and bring them to the table. And so, I guess being recognized by like indigenous leadership in such an honorable way is something that I, you know, I don't take it lightly. It's it's a it's a huge honor. It's a real gift and an opportunity for you to make things better. So when we start to talk about climate change and environmental issues like that, what can you tell us about the way that Indigenous leaders approach those kinds of challenges? Well, when it comes to environmentalism and climate change, what I have noticed is that Indigenous leaders do have a much more stronger understanding and respect for the land and the water rather than, I guess... I'm not really sure. It's like, I know from like also an Indigenous perspective how they're looking at it. And I understand that they're looking at it like that as well. And so when it does come to land and like environment, I do know that it is taken a bit more seriously because me talking to like, I guess, I wouldn't really know how you, how you would call it, but like other than Indigenous people, they do take it differently. And I always promote looking at it from an Indigenous perspective because when you do look at it from that perspective, you have like... A much stronger respect for it it's it's kind of hard to explain but it's that's what I've noticed <laughs> yeah yeah that totally makes sense and I, and I know there's a lot of non-indigenous cultures where you know especially here in, in in North America where people grow up and they they don't see themselves as part of the natural world they see themselves yeah. as separate from it mm-hmm. and then that changes the way that they act as well yeah So you got involved in being a water protector and doing that work. And then how did that kind of grow into starting to talk about bigger issues like climate change and like other environmental issues? How did that evolve for you? Well, it, of course, did start with water and my understanding of the issues with clean drinking water issues in First Nations communities. But I I guess as I got older... I started to realize that it's not just clean drinking water issues that Indigenous people face. It's much more than that. It's not only water, climate change. It's missing a murder, Indigenous women, racism and discrimination and how they actually all tie in together. And so even though I don't only talk about water and climate change anymore, all the things I do talk about, they all 
like relate to to one another and so yeah as i like right now i i kind of i'm more labeled as like an indigenous indigenous rights activist now because i have kind of opened up my platform to not just like clean drinking water and like environmental issues i do talk a lot about like racism and discrimination and missing and murdered indigenous women and that's kind of what's what's happened over time because again you know these issues it's not just clean drinking water it's so much more than that And can you help us understand that a bit more? What are some of the connections? Why are these things all interconnected? Well, you know, even doing my work from a very young age and being an Indigenous, like a young Indigenous girl, I started to notice, you know, that how Indigenous people were treated in Canada. And I didn't really understand racism and discrimination until I got a little bit older than eight years old. Because when I would come to places, it's more like, well, why does this little girl think like what she says, like, is relevant like like why should we listen to this little girl and it was I kind of noticed that when I kind of came around like 13 14 years old because I started to understand racism and discrimination and like notice that I was facing on a daily basis and that's kind of when I became really I guess I guess passionate about talking about those issues as well because again they all tie in together and you know kind of like deepening my understanding of like residential schools the Indian Act and how, you know, Indigenous people are, like, looked at as, like, the like the most worthless of the population. That is literally how we were labeled. And so, you know, just kind of, like, empowering young people, young Indigenous, like, youth and people to kind of, like, be confident in, like, who they are and where they come from is, it's also a big part of my work. Yeah, I really appreciate that. What What did it feel like when you started to go to some of these events and you started to get access to world leaders and you were able to start to use your voice? What did it feel like to be able to do that? Well, for me, that is my biggest accomplishment to this day because, you know, again, racism and discrimination for Indigenous peoples is very, it's a big thing. And nobody really realizes that because, again, you know, First Nations people are looked at as the most worthless of the population. And so being able to kind of like talk about First Nations issues on a global platform where like world leaders are listening to me and what I have to say is such a huge thing because, you know, they're not talked about and, you know, nobody really pays attention to the First Nations population. And so being able, again, being able to talk about those on like a world platform is such an honor and is my biggest accomplishment to this day. And we're very grateful that you're doing it. And 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 I do want to say, not everybody thinks that First Nations people are worthless. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just hope you know that. Yeah. So when when we look at, you know, what is starting to work well in making change today, what have you seen that Indigenous leaders are doing that's really starting to make a difference when we talk about issues like the climate crisis? What do you think is working well? Well, collaboration is a very huge part of it. And, you know, working together, so collaboration and working together and educating yourself and others is very important. Because, you know, these issues aren't just First Nations issues. A lot of these things are world issues, global issues, and they affect everyone. Clean drinking water is not just a First Nations issue. Everyone faces, like, you know, inequality when it comes to clean drinking water. And so talking about these issues and talking about them together is really important. And learning from each other. Yes. Yeah. So when we go back to a lot of the the racism and the beliefs that exist right now, what do you think people need to do in terms of being open to learning new ways of thinking and being? Well, proper education is huge. And, 
you know, making sure that you have like the right information because there can be a lot of misleading and misinformation when it comes to First Nations people and issues. And so just like, I guess, ensuring that it's proper and you're getting it from the right sources is really important. Mm. So, you know, so I'm teaching this course at Royal Roads University. What are some other educational approaches that you've seen that work well in terms of helping people learn about new ways of thinking and being? I mean, for me, it's really listening to my elders because a lot of like our knowledge that is like passed down is oral knowledge. Like we don't have books that we read from or kind of like things. I don't. It's 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 very oral knowledge, so it's kind of like hard for me to kind of like direct you to like a proper like source. But I guess just like you know, like making sure like listening to elders is like one of like I guess my biggest like suggestion because you know those are our traditional knowledge keepers. So. Yeah, they are. And and I would absolutely say they are proper sources. <laughs> yeah, just as just as valuable as any books, you know, that might be published out yeah. there. Well, that's great. What about doing things like getting to visit other places or going out to hear people speak? Are there other things like that? I know you've been doing a lot of events. What have you seen has been working well to really connect with people? Well, in terms of connecting with people, visiting First Nations communities and kind of experiencing issues firsthand and seeing them and seeing what it actually feels like to be in those situations is something that I've also kind of recommended because you can't really speak on behalf unless you've actually experienced that, unless you've actually like seen how it affects those people. And so I say like the best learning experience is experiencing it firsthand. And I personally did that to kind of get like, you know, that perspective i visited a first nations community which is atawapiskat first nation that have also been on a oil water advisory for a very long time and you know listening to like the kids and like their opinions and their thoughts on you know clean drinking water was really sad because one of the little girls that i actually talked to while i was there kind of shared with me that she was feeling really sad that her grandparents had to walk two kilometers to you know because there's one tap in that community that everyone has to go to to get their clean drinking water and it's kind of far out from like the community and so she was just sharing how she was really sad that her like over 70 year old grandparents had to walk there and carry these big like bales of water back to like you know their homes and so just kind of like seeing it firsthand and like seeing how it affects those people firsthand is really important when it comes to like getting a good learning experience and, and sharing those kinds of stories, you know, when you tell me a story like that, that's not something that people typically think is going on in Canada. They think of that happening in other countries. Exactly. And so when we look at what we hear is coming for the future in terms of the climate crisis, I know you mentioned collaboration. What are some of the things that we need leaders to do to be able to address the climate crisis? Well, I guess listening to Indigenous people, because again, we have a very unique perspective when it comes to climate, the land and the water. And I also promote, you know, like listening to youth and empowering and encouraging young people, because I always like to say that it's when you hear about these issues coming from young people, it's it's that much more important and powerful because you generally wouldn't think young person's going to speak up about world or political issues. And so that's also like when I like to say that, you know, something is wrong and something has to be done because a young person should not have to be be speaking up about those things. But I don't know. It's just it's just that much more powerful when it comes from a young person. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, I was talking to another climate leader and he was saying when he was your age in school, he was watching all of this going on and he kept assuming that, you know, the grown ups were going to do all the work that needed to be done. 
And then as he watched us miss all our commitments, like, you know, the Paris Accord, he finally realized, he finally thought to himself, crap, I'm the grown up now and I'm the one who's going to have to fix it. Mm -hmm. So what are you working on these days to start to address some of these issues? Well, I actually do start university in the fall and... I do plan on, you know, basing my career with helping Indigenous people, but not necessarily through, like, you know, like, water issues. But because throughout my work, I like, like I said before, I learned a lot about, you know, Indigenous issues and people in Canada. And that is not only just, you know, clean drinking water issues and climate change. You know, there's racism and discrimination. And so I grew a very strong passion for, you know, that area of, like, those issues. And I'm basing my career on, like, helping Indigenous people who are, like, facing injustices in the criminal justice system. And what gives you the courage to do that? Because you've you've said this a couple of times, you know, we don't often hear youth speaking up, and, and it's often, you know, not really their kind of responsibility. And so where do you find the strength and the courage to step up and take on that responsibility? Well, I mean, I guess it really is, like, the lack of representation that you you see, like, Indigenous the lack of like indigenous representation and that's kind of when you see inequality and injustices because especially like like in the criminal justice system you're not going to really understand where like these people are coming from unless you are indigenous and you understand you like can you like, you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like you kind of have to have like indigenous representation in legal professions like that to understand where like kind of where these issues root from and i feel like that's just something I became very passionate about. And I would also like to help my people in that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so for people like me, you know, so much of the challenge is being able to learn from Indigenous leaders and learn Indigenous perspectives. And, and so when I think about everything that the elders know, how, how can we somehow how do we scale that knowledge, right? How do we make that more accessible so that more of us can learn from that? Because I, I know what's going on these days, you know, everybody's trying to get get them to come and talk like this, come and talk to us. And, and that's not a fair ask. So what do you think we can do so that more of us can learn from Indigenous knowledge keepers? Well, I mean, there's always Indigenous conferences happening or conferences with Indigenous speakers. And you know, I always run into that because I'm, of, of course, always attending those. And I've, you know, anybody can, I feel like, any, I think anybody can attend those. And that's kind of where I kind of also get my knowledge from and just listening because I don't, I don't really like to like learn from reading books. I like to like kind of like learn it from my elders firsthand. And so that's kind of also what I promote. And it's really just like, there's always people who are willing to teach, t- to teach about our culture and our people and our, like, you know, our history and, you know, whether that's coming and bringing someone in to speak at your school or speak, I don't know, just like talk to them personally, even like, the, like we're always willing to kind of share and like share proper education. I, I love that idea. So moving beyond our reliance on books and the written word to really start to connect face to face again mm-hmm. and learn from each other. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we we've definitely lost that ability. And we do mm-hmm. need more of it. Yes. So I know we've seen a lot of collaboration lately with David Suzuki and yourself. So can you tell me a bit more about, you know, how how do you feel that youth are more empowered today maybe than they were 15 years ago and what the what the collaborations like? Well, I have noticed from like even the time when I started, which was about 10 years ago now, that there is 
very so much more youth and young people speaking up than there was. I honestly couldn't really say why, <laughs> but there is, and it's honestly something that gives me hope, and it's something that I feel like, you know, our future does have hope, and like for my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, I do, again, I do have hope, and I'm not really sure why, but, you know, we are, and I'm very hopeful about that. You know, they say that action is the cure for anxiety, and so take, taking action maybe gives us hope. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about what it's been like to work with, with Dr. Suzuki. Are you, is he learning from you? Are you able to help him at all? We're, of course, learning from each other, and I love always hearing what he has to say because whenever he, whenever he speaks, it's so powerful and inspiring, and it's so fun to listen to. And, I mean, with me, I know he's always listening to what I have to say because, you know, I share a very unique perspective, and he has shared that with me. And, you know, I guess that's a very, like, the, that's very important is just collaboration and listening to one another. Mm-hmm. And and feeling like you're being listened to and that people are not just, you know, paying you lip service. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Are there other Indigenous leaders that you think we should be listening to or that my audience could go out and seek out? Well, personally, I, I look up to people who are like Kahanas Manuel, Buffy St. Marie, and... You know, a lot of, like, Indigenous people who are in political positions are kind of, like, my role models because, you know, they're taking action at a different level and a very high level. And so I do have, like, a few favorites, like Wab Canoe. And so those are people kind of who I kind of, like, recommend to listen to. Mm, that's excellent. What else would you like people to know about your work and about what we need to do? Well, my work really is just, you know encouraging young people to use their voices whether you're indigenous or not because you know again these issues aren't just indigenous issues and you know using your voice is something I encourage for everyone and you know spreading proper education and acknowledging these issues in our history and I guess that's kind of what I you know like to talk about. Fantastic and and if people want to follow along with your work where could they find you? My Instagram is very active and my Instagram is just my name. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where I post a lot of what I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Autumn, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your passion and your wisdom with us. We're really excited to learn from you. And I'm personally very grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you. You've been listening to a special climate edition of The Quest for Good, an interview series about how leaders break down barriers to create a better future. If you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, or better yet, share it with your networks. And if you'd like to know more about how to take your climate leadership to the next level, check out the Master of Arts in Climate Action Leadership at Royal Roads University or get in touch at denisewithers.com.